0: The scripture from Jeremiah reads, These are the words of the letter that the prophet Jeremiah sent from Jerusalem to the remaining elders among the uh, exiles, and to the priests, the prophets, and all the people whom Nebuchadnezzar had taken into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. This was after King uh, Jeconiah, Jekani, <laughs> And the queen mother and the court officials and the leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, the artists and the smiths, had departed from Jerusalem. The letter was sent by the hand of Elasa, the son of Stephan, and <clears throat> uh, Jeremiah and Hilkiah, whom King Nebuchadnezzar of Judah sent to Babylon, to king Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and it said thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel to all the endless the exiles whom i have sent to, <coughs> to uh, into exile from jerusalem to babylon build houses and live in them plant gardens and eat what they produce take wives and have sons and daughters take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there, and do not decrease. But seek the welfare of the city where I have sent you into exile, and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its welfare you will find your welfare. For thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, Do not let the prophets and the diviners who are among you deceive you, And do not listen to the dreams that they dream, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you in my name. I did not send them, says the Lord. For thus says the Lord, only when Babylon's 70 years are completed will I visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place.
1: The word of our God. Thanks be. Let us pray. Holy God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Alleluia. Amen. There we go. You know, the hard part about prophecy, preaching out of the prophetic texts of our Bible, is that it's a genre of literature that we don't have anymore, and we're not used to it. The hard part about prophecy and the way that such stories as this one are told in our scriptures is that they are both historical and not. Because their main concern is not, never was, factual accuracy. Prophecy is concerned, first and foremost, with the deeper truth that is uncovered in both the living and the telling of the stories. Prophecy doesn't just explain things as they are. It doesn't lay things out in a nice and neat and orderly fashion. Prophets hold up an important mirror for us, certainly. But more than that, prophecy gives us a way to make meaning from what we see in that mirror. A way of understanding one moment in the context of a larger picture and of a grander scheme. So while we know that the leadership of Judah was indeed factually, exiled to Babylon, an exile that was both devastating and comparatively painless. We also know that the letters of that time and the writings of that particular exiled people do not exist today. And what we read in our Bibles is not the same thing as what would have been written on the parchment or the vellum or the tablets that made their way from Jerusalem into Babylonia. What we read in our Bibles today are not the actual, maintained, documented letters from Jeremiah to the exiles. Rather, these letters became stories, told and retold as a way of teaching and revealing the presence of God in the lives of God's people throughout time. So yes, there is fact lodged within this reading this morning. Facts which are in fact rather important to our un- understanding of what it is that Jeremiah is trying to reveal. Because these, you know, these facts form the basis of the truth that will continue to resonate even into our lives. It is fact that Judah was a tiny little kingdom surrounded by empires. Assyria, to the north, Babylon to the east, and Egypt to the west. That's a nerve-wracking place to be in any context. And it is fact that Judah tried to form alliances with various empires, but when the little tiny kingdom tries to form an alliance with the great big empire, it doesn't usually go well for the little tiny kingdom. Uh, An alliance between Judah and something the size of Babylon, for instance, is going to be inherently unequal. And so it is fact as well that Babylon occupied Judah in order to gain a foothold closer to Egypt, who was their major enemy at the time. And that occupation was not quite what Judah had in mind when they formed the alliance in the first place. You know, that's not what we think about when we're like, oh, hey, you'll protect me. This will be great. Egypt won't come and invade. Oh, you're invading me. Oops. That's pretty much what happened. And it is therefore also a fact that the people of Judah, when they realized that this was going to be outcome of this little alliance that they had figured out, uh, they made their displeasure known, and therefore it is also a fact that the Babylonians didn't really care what Judah thought about this occupation. It was in their best interest, so that was enough for them. And it exiled the leadership of Judah and destroyed much of Jerusalem, including the Temple of Solomon, because the Temple was seen as the location of God. And the prevailing wisdom of all of these empires and nations was that if you destroy, the gods, you control the people. Because it is finally fact that this wasn't Babylon's first rodeo in such alliances, and they knew exactly how this sort of thing was done. But it is fact as well that, for the most part, the exiled leadership of Judah were not treated poorly by their captors. They were not made slaves, as often happened in that time, They were not terrorized. They were not starved. As traumatic as the destruction of Jerusalem and the exile itself were to the people, and it certainly was that, once they were established in Babylonia, the capital city and the region around it, the Jewish leadership were in fact given space to themselves to live as they wished to live, to speak their own language, to tell their own stories, to work their crafts, and to earn a living. Jeremiah is writing in these moments, not to a people who are struggling to survive physically. This isn't a rehash of the slavery time in Egypt that Moses uh, got them out of. That's, we're not going to redo the Exodus in this moment. Jeremiah is writing to a people who are not being brutalized or starved or forced into hard labor. He is writing to a people whose identity has been disrupted. They knew who they were when the temple existed, and they're not really sure how to proceed from here. Jeremiah is writing to a people who are watching everything that they had taken for granted about their people, their world, and even their God begin to to unravel and we can wonder how such a letter might have been received just take a look back at it think about what Michael read to us this morning and wonder go ahead in your heads what that would feel like to get that sort of a letter from your homeland But at the same time, I'm not sure that any of us actually need to wonder what it would feel like. Because the thing about prophecy is that the truth of it remains, even when the facts differ from generation to generation. When Jeremiah told the leadership of Judah during their exile to plant gardens, to build houses, to make their lives there, Those words hold a truth that is not simply for their particular set of circumstances. It is a truth that echoes on down through time to all of us who know that sense of unraveling in our own lives. Like the people of Judah, we know what it is to have all of our assumptions called into question. To have the very fabric of our society begin to fray around us. What it looks like to worship. What it looks like to care for one another. What it looks like simply to move through this world. All of that has shifted dramatically in the past few months. Our understanding of what it means to be safe. Our understanding of how we may have conflated safety and comfort is beginning to crack and shatter. And through it all, we look for our God, for what it means to have God with us in moments of fear and uncertainty, of questioning and unraveling. We pull on the thread of this virus and find that it exposes the damage that we have done to ecosystems and species forced to share space with humans, risking increased viral contamination across species. And then we pull on the thread of climate change, and we find the rising sea levels, the increasing average temperatures responsible for habitat destruction, crop failure, shifting access to necessary resources and increased competition that leads to people migrating in search of basic human needs and away from the violence that competition brings which leads us to pull on the threat of migration, and we find inhuman border camps and human trafficking, the destruction of habitat, including protected species, in order to build a wall. We find people in precarious situations, living in unsafe housing in areas where pollution is concentrated, poor neighborhoods in industrial areas where asthma rates among the children are absurdly high, which leads us to pull on the thread of poverty, and the threat of health care, and the threat of housing, and there we find the virus once again wreaking havoc in black and brown communities. We're staying at home and taking precautions are unaffordable luxuries, but no matter how many lives are affected, it never seems to matter. We tug just a little on just one thread— and the whole fabric begins to come apart as healthcare care and immigration and climate justice and racism and sexism and the economy are woven together in ways that we had barely ever perceived until it all began unraveling. And we, like the ancients in today's texts, find ourselves in unfamiliar territory that we did not choose, trying to find our footing when nothing seems stable. Where is God when we cannot worship in our church building, when we cannot lift all of our voices together in song? Where is God when we grapple with the pain of our black kindred, when we finally hear the centuries of injustice and inequality pouring out before us? Where is God when everything that had made our world stable and kept us feeling comfortable seems to be coming apart at the seams? And into it all, Jeremiah's words come echoing down out of the ancient past, speaking as easily to one set of facts as they did to another. Things are unraveling, Jeremiah says to us. Get comfy. We're going to be here for a while. Then as now, the prophet is holding a mirror up to those who had been comfortable with the world as it was to those who had woven things together in the first place, to those who had found the fabric beautiful, comfortable, to those who had hoped that it would last. Then, as now, we are reminded that being uncomfortable is not the same as being safe, that this discomfort is indeed of God's doing, and God would not put us in harm's way. God is, however, totally fine with setting us up to do the work of self-examination, of listening beyond our own experiences, and of leaning into the discomfort that brings growth and health to the wider community. Then, as now, we are being reminded that the unravelling is not as temporary a state of being as we would have wanted it to be. It is not one single moment after which we can go back to the way that things used to be. Unraveling is an opening, an invitation into a world that is far more expansive than anything that we have so far known. So get comfy in the discomfort, Jeremiah tells us. Do whatever it is you need to do to settle in. Make sure you have a place to rest and enough to eat. And then look around at this place where God has put you. Let it feed you. Let it be your shelter. Make it your family. Care for this place, as uncomfortable as it might feel right now. For your well-being is enmeshed in the well-being of this new space that is being opened before you. This new potential, this new understanding of the world. Get comfy in the discomfort. For when we look beyond who we think we are, when we learn to see beyond our own understandings and our own experiences of this world, there we will find God. For then, as now, God has not just existed in the ways that we were accustomed to worship. God accompanies us even into exile, as indeed Zoom worship can sometimes feel a little bit like an exile. God has not just existed in the familiarity of our own experience, but in the diversity that opens us to broader understandings of God's self. Then, as now, God created all the world, all of it, and the whole of creation reflects the fullness of God, even the parts that feel new and strange and uncomfortable. Then as now, God calls us to settle in to the places we never expected to be, to pull on the threads of all that humans have made, to start the unraveling that might yet reveal where God has been this entire time. Thanks be to God. Amen.